Good morning. It's kind of, it's neat when you've been a part of a church body for so long and it's hard to say bye to people that you love and that happens quite often, but then you have some that left and come back and visit. I see the Rhymers out here, which is, it's so good to see you guys this morning and, and the Millers in the back. Um, it's good to see you guys too. And, uh, uh, you only get that when you invest into a body and, I'm thankful for this church body um, and the investment you guys have poured into me and and vice versa. And it's just a blessing these Sundays and, and hard uh, to see friends leave. But with that said, if you could open up your scriptures with me to Psalm 73. Take a, a break this um, uh, from Luke this morning and jump into a Psalms. Um, This fall, we've been going over the Psalms in the high school group, and um, uh, to be honest, just kind of growing up in the church, I I, uh, uh, wasn't a big fan of the Psalms. It was just not something I would go to normally uh, growing up, and partly because I think I just, I wasn't artistic or I didn't enjoy, like, poetry, so in my mind, I kind of stayed away from a whole book on, that, that's full of songs, um, but that all changed when I went to seminary and was taught uh, the practice of praying through the Psalms. And it's something that we've been trying to uh, get our church to be a part of. I know the women's ministry uh, spent a lot of time praying through the Psalms, and, and we do it with the high school group. And I found something about the Psalms that I didn't really quite get growing up. Um, I really started to seeing the Psalms as I was praying through them, just kind of resonating with my soul. They, they, there would be times where I'm praying through the Psalms and I'm praying exactly what I was feeling. I was praying my struggles, my, my experiences. And from that point on, as I've prayed through the Psalms, I just have found a new found love for the Psalms that, that, uh, um, God has opened up to me. And so this fall, I decided, you know what, I want to take the, the, the high schoolers through the Psalms, and that's mostly because I just wanted to study the Psalms and get more familiar with the Psalms and just kind of enjoy some of the things that, that I was seeing in praying through the Psalms. And there's really two things that has stuck out to me. First is the depth, the theological richness of the Psalms that I didn't really know was there until I really dug in deeply and started studying the Psalms. Um, I found that the Psalms are, are somewhat foundational to the New Testament. And we see the Psalms quoted just time and time and time again in the, in the New Testament and in arguments to prove Jesus' divinity. Um, and and the, the Psalms are deep and theologically rich. But secondly, the Psalms are, are so human. The humanity in the Psalms. I really believe that the Psalms show almost maybe better than anywhere else in scriptures the dual authorship of scripture. That the the scriptures were written by men, inspired by God. Written by men, you see the humanity in the Psalms. Inspired by God, you see the deep theological truths in the Psalms. For example, Psalms 110 is so deep and so interconnected with, with all of scripture that's amazing to me to think a human wrote it. You just, you know, God had to have inspired that. But then you get to Psalm 73, and it is so human, it's almost hard to believe that God inspired it. 
so human that honestly it's encouraging. It's how I feel sometimes. I heard this psalm for the first time. You know, I've read through the Bible a number of times, and so I know I've read this psalm, but it, it just didn't stick out to me. To this summer, I was at summer camp at Forest Home with my family, and um, I heard the psalm preach, and it was the first time I really heard this psalm, Psalm 73. Um, and it resonated with me. I actually was planning this morning to preach through Psalm 19, because uh, I just enjoy preaching on the, the bigness of God. And uh, I asked the high schoolers, hey, out of all the psalms that we've gone over so far, I've kind of narrowed it down. Which, which one should I preach? And it, it was kind of unanimous. Everyone said Psalm 73. So I think it resonated with them too. Um, this is a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was probably one of David's chief musicians. In 1 Chronicles 25.1, it says, David, you don't, don't turn there, just stay at Psalm 73, but it says this, that David and the chiefs of the service um, also set apart for the service um, the sons of Asaph um, and of uh, Heman and of uh, Jeduthun, uh, who prophesied with lyres and, and harps and with cymbals. They, they prophesied. In, in other words, they proclaimed truth through music. Many, many years later, Second Chronicles 29.30 says, And Hezekiah, the king of the officials, commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph, the seer. Probably just a way of saying all the Psalms. And they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed down and worshiped. So Asaph is the author of this psalm, and, and he's the author of this psalm for the next 11 psalms. Um, it was written during the um, Davidic kingdom, during the time of David. So let's just jump right into it. Psalm 73, verse 1. It says, Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Asaph starts the psalm with something that he knows. And, and for the most part, there's very few out there that struggle with this. We all say God is good. It's a fundamental truth about God. And the Psalms make this clear. Psalms 25.8 says, Good and upright is the Lord. Psalms 34.8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. 86.5 says, For you, O Lord, are good. 105, or 100 verse 5 says, for the Lord is good. 106 verse 1 says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Psalms 119.68 says, you are good and do good. Psalms 135.3 says, praise the Lord for the Lord is good. Psalms 136.1 says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And Psalms 149 or 45 verse 9 says, the Lord is good to all. Asaph knows God is good. And I'm sure Asaph has seen this firsthand. He probably saw the results of, of Saul, the, the king that was selfish, that was seeking fame, fortune, and honor, and ended his life scared, paranoid, term, er, uh, tormented by an evil spirit, losing his beloved son, eventually committing suicide on his sword. He also saw David a man after God's own heart, a shepherd boy who slayed Goliath in epic fashion, who became king, who was very successful. 
But he saw when David failed, what happened to him when he wasn't pure at heart, when he sinned with Bathsheba, the anguish the death of his son brought, the anguish when another one of his sons rebelled, Absalom. Asaph has seen this firsthand, and and probably in a similar way, we all could say, truly God is good to his children, to those who are pure of heart. We've seen the fate of of men that struggle with sin, or men that are just evil, people that, that, that are in prison, people that are struggling with drugs, people that are struggling with alcohol, or, or movie stars and popular culture, people that are just miserable, drug addicted, people that commit suicide. We've also seen the joys of those that, that seem to have their life together in God, that are mature in the faith. That just love the Lord and you could just tell that that brings joy in their life. We've heard the stories of of the pure at heart. The heroes, the heroes of scripture. The heroes of the faith. The heroes within our church. And I said first service, I can think of a few that, that, that just jump out in my mind. I know, I know this. That, that truly God is good to Israel. To those who are pure in heart. But, verse 2. But, I don't always feel this way. I mean, how human is that? How many times have you said, I know you are good, God. I I know you are good, but this is hard. I, I don't know why this is happening. You're letting this happening. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. God, I am, I'm stumbling here. I'm, I'm slipping. I, I feel like I'm losing my faith. I mean, think about this. This is a writer of Scripture inspired by God to write, I feel like I'm losing my faith. How human. How human. Well, why does he feel this way? Well, verse 3. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Do you feel this way? Envious of the wicked? Envious of the world? I think this resonated with the high schoolers because I see the high schoolers struggling that, that are Christians. I really badly want a boyfriend and girlfriend, but I know it's not the right time. Everyone has seen this movie or this TV show, but, but I know I shouldn't watch it. Everyone is playing this video game, but I, it's just too graphic. I shared first service, and I'll share the second service too. My sister, I was you know, proud of her for this, um, something I didn't think of. But she told her, uh, her child, before he was 13, he's in seminary now, before he was 13, that he was not going to watch a, a PG-13 movie until after he was 13. And I'm not saying, I'm not putting that on anyone else or saying that we should do this, but her reasoning was this. If society says, secular society, secular Hollywood says, a 13-year-old shouldn't watch this movie, who am I as a Christian? And that really hit me. Especially when I saw my nephew have to leave parties because they were watching a PG-13 movie. He had to call his mom up and say, Mom, I know I'm not supposed to watch this. You can come pick me up. Sometimes I just want to do what everyone else is doing. 
And it doesn't end after high school, college. It seems like everyone's drinking and partying or cheating on tests. Christian adulthood. Why do I always have to be so responsible? Why do I have to be the one that, that lives beneath my means or, or whatever it is? Parenting. This is starting to become hard for us already. Why do I always have to be the parent that says no? It's, it's, it's weighing. No, you can't hang out with those friends. No, you can't have a smartphone yet. No, you can't stay out that late. No, you can't date. You're too young. Within Christianity, I mean, there's so many Christians that aren't living the way they should, and sometimes it's like, why can't I just live that way? Or even the church. Why does our church always have to take such a hard stance on these things? Verse 3, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pigs until death. That means they don't have illnesses or chains, an illness that's like a chain or handcuff that's holding them back. Their bodies are fat and, and sleek. This is talking about wealth because in, in this day and age, most people just didn't have abundance of food to, to eat. So the, the, the rich would be uh, heavier because they would eat more and everyone else that was just trying to get day to day barely had enough food to get by. But they're eating enough. They're, they're rich and wealthy. Verse 5, they're not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. In other words, they're carefree. They seem happy. I like the New Living Translation. It says this, they, they are not plagued with problems like us. Therefore, their pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out uh, through fatness. Again, fatness, a sign of wealth in this culture. A sign of, in, in that culture, overindulgence and, and gluttony. It just had so much food. So much. Their hearts overflow with folly. They scoff and speak with malice. Lawfully, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. In other words, they speak blasphemy against God, against the heavens. And not only that, they, they, they strut around the earth means, means they brag about their blasphemy. Therefore, his people turn back to them and finds no fault in them. And people are confused. They turn to the wicked and say, that there must not be any fault in them because look how prosper- or prosperous they are. Therefore, the, the, I like the NIV. It says this, therefore, they, they drink up their words. Is this not our society? People are so envious of, of the movie stars and pro athlete. They pro athletes. They see them prosper. They say there must not be any fault in them. Therefore, they drink up their words, no matter how arrogant or foolish they are. Verse eleven. And they say, "How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High?" In other words, they arrogantly say, God is not going to do anything. He doesn't care, and probably he doesn't even know. Our society, there just isn't a God. Verse 12. 
Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in richness. Do you guys feel the frustration in this Psalms? Do you feel it? Have you ever thought this way before? Have you ever felt that frustration? Asaph is being so honest here. He has some major struggles. And he highlights at least two of them. The first one is this. The wicked do not seem to suffer for their troubles, hardships, and diseases, and their toil, uh, toilsome labors common to man. They seem to live above the frustrations of life. A life of ease, a life of happiness, a life of riches. Second struggle that he has is the wicked have no regard for God and his commandments. They even mock God with their attitudes and actions and words. Why? Why let them mock you, God? Why let them prosper that way? This is the frustration Asaph has. Verse 13. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. He's not saying he's a perfect man. All he's saying is, I've put effort in my sanctification, in in my godliness. I've put effort in keeping my heart clean, God. I've put effort at keeping my hands innocent. I mean, the Christian life can be hard sometimes, right? It's hard work. Work out your salvation. Where's God who works in you? This is a dedicated man. Verse 14. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. He's asking, did, did I have my heart pure for nothing? Because I feel like I'm being stricken and rebuked every morning. And this, is, this is honesty. This is just what he's feeling. God, I am working so hard. Am I working this hard for nothing? He's starting to feel like it. I'm seeing sinners have fun. Am I missing out? Am I missing out on, on, on movies, friends, dating, worldliness, partying, sex, drunkenness, riches, success, indulgences, careers? Am I missing out? Verse 15. If I had said, I will speak thus. In other words, if I, if I would have spoke honestly... If I would have said all this out loud, holding nothing back, and not in a healthy way, but more renouncing God, denying the faith, speaking out of anger, verse 15, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. It's kind of an interesting line here, and, and the translator or uh, uh, commentators have taken this a couple different ways, but but I think... What he's saying is amazing here. That one of the only things that's keeping Asaph from abandoning the faith is the people of God. His brothers and sisters in the Lord. The people of God, in other words, are a means of grace from God. One of the ways God stops him from slipping and falling was the body. For us, that's the church. The church, the people of God, this body brings encouragement and accountability. My guess is is that Asaph loved the people of God so much that 
two things. One, he doesn't want to lose them. And he's ready to, to abandon the faith, but he's like, I'm not ready at this point to abandon my body, the people that I love. And second, he doesn't want to lead them down a wrong path. He knows what, what he's thinking is wrong, but he doesn't want to lead the people he loves down that same path. And it stops him from going down that path. And that's why the church body is so, that's why the local church body is so important. It's so important. Verse 15, let's read it again. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, all of this, all this stuff he's struggling with, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. It wore me out. It made me depressed, frustrated, discouraged. Until, verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. The sanctuary of God at this time was the place of worship, the, the body coming together, the children, um, uh, the generations of your children, God, coming together to worship in the tabernacle. But it probably was more than that. In that worship, it, it, Asaph is in his own thoughts, in, in his prayer time, in his meditation, a time of worship with the Lord. This is what Charles Spurgeon says. His mind entered the eternity where God dwells as in a holy place. He left the things of sense for the things invisible. His heart gazed within the veil. He stood where the thrice holy God stands. Thus, he shifted his point of view. And this apparent disorder resolved itself into harmony. In other words, he gained perspective. He gained God's perspective. He discerned their end. Verse 18. Truly, you have set them in slippery places. You have made them fall to ruin. This is amazing. Remember first, verse 1. I, I feel like I'm about to slip, God. I feel like I'm about to fall. He gets perspective. Now verse 18. Truly, you have set them, the wicked, in slippery places. You have made them fall. This is how valuable perspective is. We should always try to view the situations we find ourselves in through the perspective of God, through a biblical perspective. But I get it. Sometimes that's hard. I've been a pastor at this church long enough to see some, some really tough circumstances. I'm thankful God has blessed me where I haven't been in that yet. And I see how hard it is to, to pull back and see it from God's perspective. It is hard. Sometimes all we can see is our circumstances, what is near us. And our circumstances are hard. Death, cancer, divorce, all types of things. I get it, but I think, you know what? I think God gets it too. I think that's why this psalm exists. God inspired a man to, to write his struggles so that we could read it and go, yes, yes. 
Asaph, for a second, took his eyes off God and looked at the world. But once he put his eyes back on God, he gained perspective. Truly you have set them in slippery places. Verse 19. How they are destroyed in a moment. Swept away, in, uh, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. Oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. Kind of interesting way of, of, of putting it, trying to grasp what the Hebrew is saying. I like the New Living Translation. It just gets it really well. It says this in verse 19 in the New Living Translation. In an instant, they, this is the wicked, in an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas. As a person laughs at, a, um, at dreams in the morning. It's perspective. The wicked will be destroyed. In a moment. Those that don't have faith in Christ. If you don't have faith in Christ this morning. They'll be gone just like a bad dream. Swept away by God's wrath. Verse 21. When my soul was embittered. When I was pricked in heart discouraged, depressed, when I was even angry. Verse 22, I was brutish and and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you, like like a dumb animal, he's saying. I was foolish. This, This is Asaph repenting from his attitude, admitting his foolishness. I should have, I should have known, God. Verse 23, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards you will receive me to glory. It's God's faithfulness. Even through his doubting, even through his struggle, even through his ignorant words, you continue with me, God. You counsel me. You hold my right hand. You keep my salvation. You receive me to glory. You are gracious towards me. Which we need even after salvation. And this grace, this grace moves Asaph to a time of reflection. Verse 25. Whom have I, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on this earth I, that I desire besides you, right? He, 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 he reflects, he remembers, he, he brings perspective in his life, and, and he, he remembers that his only joy is God on heaven, but even also on, in this earth. His relationship with the Lord is where his true joy is found. What do I have outside of you, God? What was I thinking? Verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. Everyone that does not have faith in Christ. You will put an end. You will destroy. Listen, if you don't know Jesus this morning, if you have not put your faith in him, in his perfect life that he lived, And his death on the cross paying for our sins. And his resurrection being the Lord of Lords. 
right? This is you. Put your faith in him. He's offering a free gift of salvation. And all you have to do is trust, believe. But for us, verse 20, 28, but for me, those that are saved, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell all of your works. And the psalm is so human. It's a man that is having a crisis of faith. Which leads him to pray, to meditate. It leads him to gain perspective in that prayer and meditation and God's perspective, which leads to repentance, then reflection, then joy, then action. Look, look at 28. That I may tell of all your works, that I may praise you, that I may go out and teach others and share about you. How many of you have had a crisis of faith before? How many of you have struggled with, the walk, with your walk with the Lord? Listen, you're in good company. This is a man inspired by God to share about his struggles. This is why the Psalms are so amazing. I encourage you, pray through the Psalms. You'll find some that just resonate in the situation that you find yourself in. Amazing, amazing. God gets it. God gets it. Pray to him. You can be honest like Asaph, too. And I love the Psalms because it balances that honesty. You're afraid you're going to cross the line? Pray the Psalms. Pray the Psalms. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father God, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. God, we thank you for your grace. Lord, we thank you for your patience. We thank you for your kindness, Lord. You didn't have to be kind to Asaph. He repented, which means that there was points there that he was in sin in his attitude, Lord. But you showed him grace. You showed him grace. And then you shared his struggles with us, knowing that you're a gracious God. That when we're struggling, when we find ourselves in those hard circumstances, those hard times in life, Lord, we can go to you because you're a God that's, that's patient, gentle, kind, and loving. Lord, for those of us that are that are a part of your family, Lord. So be with us, Lord. I thank you. I thank you for this morning. In your son's name. Amen. You're dismissed.